This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 20th of August 2019. And I'm joined by my illustrious, industrious co-host Dave, who did all the work for this episode. Absolutely, <laughs> as always. Um, Which is my way of saying that yum. if you don't like the episode, it's all his fault. But go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> uh, it's good to be a scapegoat. I, I, I love, I love all the blame. Purpose in life, all the yeah. blame. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> scapegoat is my purpose. Uh, it's very good to be here, as always. Now, before we go into the news, you have to do your uh, regular stick. Indeed, YouTube. We're on YouTube. Um, it's audio only, but don't, don't, don't. That's don't good, actually. Go Trust us. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but we may do video in the future, maybe. But for the time being, please go to YouTube, um, search for Roaring Elephant Podcast. Um, you'll find our channel. Subscribe to it. Hit the notification bell. Maybe listen to a few uh, episodes on there. Listen to your favourite episodes. Comment on your favourite episodes. Like and share your favourite episodes. Do all of the YouTube things. Um, we're getting our way, crawling our way slowly towards 100 subscribers. So come on, you can do it. And I promise once we get to 100 subscribers, I won't bring this up every single episode. So, uh, yeah. If you've skipped forward 10 seconds to see if I'd stop talking about YouTube, I haven't stopped talking about YouTube, still talking about YouTube. Please subscribe to, the, to our YouTube channel. Once we get to 100, I promise this, uh, this, this piece will uh, quietly fade into the black. Again, the whole reason we're doing this is because we want to see if there's actual interest for us going on YouTube, because we don't want to do all the effort if nobody's going to be watching us. Indeed, although the, the stats are interesting, we are actually getting people listening and watching our episodes on YouTube, which is, yeah, cool. Encouraging, yeah. Yeah, I indeed. I guess some people don't know or don't speak English and put it up just as background noise. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Which is fine, which is fine. Just subscribe, that's all we ask. <laughs> yeah, that's it, that's it. If you're going to do that, that's okay. Uh, but just please do subscribe. Anyway. That was old news. Give us some new news. Swiftly onwards. New news. So, new news this time. We have the Osaka track, which was something um, raised at the G20 um, summit recently. And this is about the freedom of data between borders. Now... We're very used to talking about um, sort of things like GDPR um, and privacy and people kind of keeping their data within their own borders and all that sort of thing. Uh, but the G20 uh, summit uh, in Osaka in 2019, um, actually, I think this, this, the original sort of proposal came from um, Japanese Prime Minister uh, Shinzo Abe, who wanted to create rules for a free flow of data while still respecting privacy, copyright, and security. Um, there, there are a number of countries that have already signed up uh, to this, uh, which are include the US, China, Russia, and the European Union. Um, but not everybody has uh, has has done so. It's, it's kind of interesting because China and Russia mm-hmm. traditionally are countries that are very protective over their data is my my very very strong impression mm-hmm. um but and to be honest so is the US. well yes yeah i mean 
the whole Huawei boycotting mm-hmm. uh, side of things uh, aside, you know, they are, and, and as is the European Union, yet they are all on board with this. What's kind of curious is that the organisers or the countries that are not behind this um, are India, Indonesia, and South Africa. Um, and sort of India in particular had a um, a view or were quoted saying that they wanted to um, you know, keep their data within their own boundaries to claim a competitive edge, which uh, I'm... I'm struggling to struggling to understand what competitive edge they're aiming for. I, unless they're talking specifically about um, Indian companies offering services to Indian citizens, and therefore, if they don't share that data, those Indian companies have a better chance of securing those services than companies from outside India, maybe. Yeah, but what are they going to do? Build their own Google search engine? I mean, EU is also talking we should do something that to be less uh, dependent on non-local technology providers, but it's not that easy. It's not that simple to do. And it's particularly striking me, India, that, um, I mean, um, in my view, and I could be totally mistaken here because I don't live there at all, but the India tech uh, industry has been built by outsourcing stuff from our end of the world to India. I mean, India was the poster child for outsourced support, IT, whatever, development. So they were totally, I think, dependent on data coming into the data to the country to build their infrastructure. Now, the days that they were cheap labor is long gone. They got good people there, intelligent people, and a lot of good stuff is coming out there now. But now they want to close the border. That's a bit, I don't know, ironic. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't... Again, it's actually, and I I would ask our listeners uh, if there is anyone out there that understands the the Osaka track in more detail to get in touch with us. Because after um, Yol and I both spent a few minutes of of Googling to try and find something that would explain in more sort of... uh, Let's say human readable form exactly <laughs> what this Osaka track would Supposed actually do, yeah. mean for for data, in the same way that you know you can find a fairly reasonable description out there about what GDPR is, but mm. I can't seem to find very much on this. So mm. I I don't know the detail behind this, but I do th- I do find it interesting that um, you know countries are almost kind of unilaterally deciding yes yeah we can do this. Um, and it seems to be, in some ways, a complete 180 sort of degree flip from the the sort of um, reality, the news that, that's been sort of very prevalent for the last um, sort of couple of years. It's always been about closing down borders and stopping mm. data from moving between borders, and and you know data ownership, oh. you know, closing that down, locking it down. I, I just. This seems to be a complete 180 degree shift, and I, I don't really understand, um, you know, how to rationalise those two viewpoints yet. Yeah, yeah the, the way I, my feeling is that this is about accepting reality and uh, how do you call that? Doing the same thing that's doing done to you, uh, You can say the word better than I can. 
<laughs> reciprocity. Okay, you're just as bad as I am. <laughs> just a bad word. Yeah, but I think that's more of it because US, China, and Russia, they don't want other people, I'm going to do the air quotes thing here, steal the data. But if you put something in place where everybody agrees to share everything, now you're talking about something else. Because the Huawei, Huawei thing was about Huawei allegedly stealing data without telling people they were doing it, actually saying they were not mm. doing it. And whether they do it or not, I don't want to go into that point. That's for other people to decide upon. But that was a big issue was the fact that it was been, if it was being done at all, <laughs> being very careful here, it was not done in yeah. the open. Well, if you have a thing like the Osaka track that says, okay, open free flow, everybody agrees to share everything and nobody blocks it anymore. Obviously, there'll still be stuff uh, for national security that can't be uh, made public and stuff. I don't think they want to do anything about that. But it would maybe take away the problems that the Huawei is having today. Because if it's okay to share the data, that's fine. And coming back to the early point of reality, how do you stop data? I mean, it's like in the late uh, 2000s uh, 1900s i should say where the um the, you know the, the the whole thing where encryption was seen as a war as a, as a as a war tool as a weapon and you weren't able to export 128 bit encryption because it was seen as a a weapon <laughs> yep how do you do that how do you stop that <laughs> yeah and the same thing with yeah. data it's very hard to do that and looking at you uh, at the eu uh, which we're both located in still at the moment, uh, not going there. Um, I have seen a bit of a relaxation on the whole it needs to be within the borders thing. I know here in Holland, uh, governments have been relaxing those rules. They're more looking at enforced encryption. If your data is stored in a, uh, let's call it cloud, somewhere else in your own hard disk, then make sure it's encrypted, that there's role-based access in place, that your ISO, whatever, that it's secure. And uh, when those things are done, if your data is encrypted, if your hard disk is, has uh, encryption, whatever on it, it doesn't matter where the hard disk is anymore because people can't do anything with it either, as long as encryption is good. This thing doesn't talk about open data flow, this could just be talking about let's put down rules for how data should be encrypted and at that point it can be fled around. But that opens another problem. No, you're not jumping in there? No, nope, not jumping of, in there. A lot of org, uh, org, uh, countries are now saying that any encryption applied to whatever you're doing, like Twitter feeds, fa Facebook, WhatsApp, whatever, needs to be decryptable by the... By the um, a government so that it can actually check for things like terrorism threats and stuff like that so that again bites at that end so yeah it's yeah i'm doing the, the the pretty big circle reasoning here but yeah as you said and maybe i should just stay silent it really is it really is and i don't yeah i don't really know where this is all heading at the moment so i the interesting thing of course is that the the osaka track is freedom of data while still respecting data privacy and everything else. So there's, there's got to be, yeah, there's got to be some very interesting um, descriptions of how that is actually achieved somewhere. But, uh, or, you know, what the, what the proposed rules and regulations, or maybe, maybe it's not that clear yet. Maybe this is just a, um, a very high level, 
yeah, well, a high-level desire for something that should exist um, and the detail just yeah. doesn't, the detail itself doesn't exist yet. Who knows? Uh, maybe just accepting reality and now the lobbyists can start their work. Maybe, maybe. So oh, maybe, hang on. I'm just thinking about the whole idea where some countries in the EU are now starting to tax big tech companies when they become too big and not are not placed in the same country. Would that have any influence here? Because those big companies are all based on data. And once you have free data being spread around, how can you tax stuff? It's supposed to be free. No. <laughs> okay. I'm trying. Moving, moving on. on, moving on. So the next next news article we have is, I, I don't so much want to talk about the news article itself, um, but it's it's to, to me it's another example of lies, damn lies, and statistics. Um, so the article's title is UK's police facial recognition system has an 81% error rate. Um, That's horrible. That's horrendous. Which is, which is terrible. Oh, no. Um, but the it seems to be entirely dependent on how, as, as you would expect, on how you measure, you know, the accuracy or inaccuracy. Now, you would have thought that it would be fairly easy to, do but apparently not because depending on how a set of independent researchers measured it they measured the accuracy of the technology in, in six locations and found 42 suspect ma- out of 42 suspect matches only eight were correct giving an error rate of 81 percent but the way that you need to sort of imagine that this is scanning tens, hundreds, thousands of people at any given time. And so it's not just about um, comparing those 42 suspect matches and saying that only eight of them turned out to be suspect, but you need to think about it in the total number of faces processed by the system and... In, in that, if you measure it by that measurement, then the error rate is just 0.1%, which honestly I think is pretty damn good. Um, so, yeah, again, it, to me, this this seems to be just another example of um, clickbaity title to, <laughs> to, to get people excited and irate about, oh, wasting money on facial recognition, blah, blah, blah. Um, from, you know, my limited experience in this kind of space, you know, if you have um, six locations and, you know, potentially tens of thousands of people, there's no way that you can, you know, identify sensibly or or get any sort of visibility on a small number of people that you're actually looking for out of that very easily. So having, you know, tens of thousands of people um, brought down to only 42 people that you need to then do some form of investigation on. And, you know, after presumably uh, relatively little investigation, finding out that, you know, eight of those are people that you actually need to start caring about um, or concerning yourself with, that to me sounds like a pretty good uh, a pretty good outcome. So, I don't know. I think this is another example of... You know, lies, damn lies, statistics, and people just twisting things so they can, uh, so they can, they can generate clickbaity titles. 
Yeah, I'd agree. It's an article that, or a, a, maybe not article itself, but the the news uh, com- com- component of the article is based on not really knowing what you're talking about, I guess, because yeah. it really sounds like this is talking about the confusion matrix, which every machine learning algorithm has, which has your false positives uh, and all the rest of the precision stuff in there. And depending on which box you look at, this can look very bad, very good if you don't know yep. which box it comes out of. And yeah. yeah, obviously when people need to spend money, they will see take the number that paints, paints the best picture that they uh, yeah want to make public. So, And as you said, if uh, those eight correct ones were the ones that we're looking for, then uh, I'd say it's a hit, uh, hit rate of 100%. But you're also right that the error rate of 1.0, uh, 0.1, sorry, that's very low. If I can if I could do that for all my machine learning <laughs> projects, I'd be very happy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they're obviously they're, they are potentially doing something right there. Mm. Anyway, don't want to talk about the second part of the article about the uh, social uh, aspects and legislation being proposed by the big uh, guys well, out there. I mean, it, it's uh, any anywhere that you're doing facial recognition, it's like any form of data. Uh, you know, the data can be used for. Um, for good or for nefarious purposes or for purposes somewhere in between in that uh, big wide grey band and I, uh, I think we've probably talked in the in the past enough about about that sort of uh, that sort of side yeah. of things but it's just uh, you know data itself is not inherently good or bad in many cases in the majority of cases I would even say it's just it's how that data is applied um, mm. when that data is secured who has access to that data you know that that's that's the thing that uh, that really you know changes it for a lot of people it's a dangerous uh, track of thought but you were talking about statistics lies damn lights and benchmarks Benchmarks are favourite topic in the whole world ever, said nobody, um, <laughs> apart from possibly the people at ML Perth. Um, see how smooth that segue was. Um, so, I mean, this came up as an article back in June, and I've been keeping a uh, not a close eye, but a bit of an eye on this. And I was hoping that we would kind of see or hear a little bit more about it. But this seems to be something that I can't decide whether it's very interesting or not. But very few people seem to be talking about it. Anyway, to to, to go through it into a little bit more detail, uh, a consortium of 40 different companies, including people like Facebook and Google and Cisco and um, a whole bunch of uh, academic organizations have got together and put together a um, an ML framework called MLPerf for performing machine learning performance benchmarking. And it's, it's designed to do benchmarking of hardware, software, I'm not quite sure how that works, and services. So... I think the idea is that this, um, you know, this MLPerf is a relatively neutral, for want of a better word, set of um, benchmarks that you can run on your you know, particular service provider or providers you're considering. And, you know, you get a score out of it. And if the score is higher on one service 
than another or one piece of hardware than another, then that would be the better service to run your generic benchmarks on. <laughs> um, there's there's a, a GitHub repo and uh, a site for MLPerf that we'll, we'll link in the show notes. Um, I guess if you're debating about choices of hardware or services for your machine learning workloads, then maybe this is interesting. Um, but, and uh, here's the huge caveat that we always uh, delicately insert whenever we're talking about benchmarks. Um, any benchmark is only as good as how uh, closely it compares to what you're actually doing on a day-to-day basis. Um, you know, a, a synthetic benchmark is just that. It's synthetic. It will give you a score that you can compare against another score run somewhere else. Great. whoop de do Fantastic. But if your particular workload, your production workload that you plan to run on these services is nothing like this particular MLPerf benchmark, then I struggle to see how useful this might be. So... You know, I, I think it could potentially be useful if you're trying to narrow down your options between a large number of different services. Maybe running this on those services could be something that would help you discount a couple of the providers. But, uh, yeah, I think, as as always, the caveat is make sure that you're benchmarking something that is uh, more accurately represents your production workload or the workload that you aim to run on the service you're looking to purchase. That makes sense. Agree? Disagree? Uh, well, it makes sense. I mean, I'm looking at the about page of the MLPerf uh, program here, and they actually say we're motivated in part by these uh, spec benchmarks, the System Performance yeah. Evaluation Consortium benchmarks. Uh, totally synthetic benchmarks, which I yeah. have actually used in my past professional life. And the times that I used those things was when I was writing RFPs. Request yeah. for proposals, because in RFPs, you can't give the vendors you hope to buy from access to your software and whatever you're doing because they don't have the infrastructure or whatever to run that stuff on. And again, it would take them a couple of years to get enough knowledge about what I'm doing in my company to be able to replicate that and see if they can do better than what I'm doing today. So that's when we fall, fell back to spec um, benchmarks purely to compare hardware with different hardware vendors and yeah. basically say, okay, you can offer us your stuff if you can do a spec whatever benchmark at at least this score. And it kind of yeah. gave you some, I hate to say certainty, but some some hopes of getting stuff uh, worth the money you're going to be spending. Yeah, and it's the same with uh, TPC, which is the other one they mentioned as yeah. a, a motivation or an inspiration for what they're doing. Exactly. Now, the thing there is that those are very much hardware benchmarks. What you're doing is benchmarking your CPU, your motherboard, maybe here and there some I.O. performance measuring as well. And those are things that are very static. And what I mean by that is if if you have a motherboard, a piece of hardware, it will not change from day to day in how it performs. Heat can have an effect, perhaps, especially on the new SSDs and VMEs. They like heat these days. We used to have to keep everything cold. Now it's going to be warmer. So there's some uh, some noise, let's say, in the measurements. But by and large, 
a 10 gig network interface will give you 10 gig network interface performance. If you stay with the same hardware card, you compare it to a different vendor that has its own characteristics, you'll be able to compare these and today, tomorrow, you'll have the same kind of difference. Now, what they're saying here to do in ML hardware, which is very limited today to NVIDIA GPUs, I guess, uh, the TPUs from Google, uh, Microsoft's also doing something with the project Mindsport, Mindstorm, something, I forget the name, but there's not that much hardware in there. So yeah, I can see a way of doing comparisons between those guys. Still going to be hard because an Intel CPU, a Xeon or a Core or an AMD CPU and even ARM CPUs are quite similar in each, to each other, with ARM being a bit of an exception already. ML hardware, the ones I just mentioned, those are totally different. TPUs have nothing in confident in in um, in, in uh, nothing similar to a, a CPU from Intel or Nvidia. Uh, now, software, as you already mentioned, how are you going to do that? Especially combined with the hardware, because spec and uh, TCP, TPC, sorry, as far as I remember, try to stay away as much as possible from the operating system of things. They kind of do yep. everything on Linux, and that's how you do it. <laughs> Which in ML, of course, you can't say you do it only on linear regression with this library, because that's kind of counter into it. That's not what it's supposed to be doing. And then they also mention services, which I believe means cloud services, public public cloud kind of stuff. Yes. And yeah. you can do a benchmark today on the Google machine learning Model X or the Azure machine learning Y or whatever Amazon is doing these days. You have no guarantee that what happens tomorrow is the same as today or yesterday or next week because those models are continuously being learned, improved, and sometimes uh, an improvement has a decrease in return of investment for your particular thing. So I wish them but a I lot think of fun so with that's, this. Yeah, so I think but if you so if, interestingly if you look at the um the results then you can see um things like um and it's again it's kind of interesting that not all of the services have um have results for all of the benchmarks. Yeah, sorry to so interrupt you for a second, but where are you looking for yeah. results? Because when I go to MLPerf inference results, I say results are not available. <laughs> so where do you see uh, results? If you, uh, go to training and results. Ah, okay. So they have um, results for the training, but not for the inference. Okay. Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. Um, but so you can see uh, there are lots of uh, or a handful of results available for cloud at the moment. It's just Google by the looks of things with their TPUs at different uh, system sizes, uh, and they're all running. Alibaba is also cloud. Uh, the bottom one. Well, it's, but it's it's yeah, it's called research down here. So I don't know what the different different kind of categories are, but you can see like for the uh, Google TPUs, they most of them have results for most of the different benchmarks. So image classification, object detection, lightweight, object detection, heavyweight, translation recurrent, translation non-recurrent, recommendation, and reinforcement learning. Just to add um, that Google was one of the founders of this stuff, so it's logical that they would have results. Yeah, yeah, indeed. But there are now many other organizations that are, well, over 40 organizations participating. So mm -hmm. I would expect this to uh, 
to branch out a little bit. But the interesting thing for me is that you can now see there's a, a list of stuff available on-prem. So unsurprisingly, most of it is uh, NVIDIA hardware. There is one Intel um, <laughs> sort of result in there, um, which is interestingly not as slow as um, on the reinforcement learning as one of the uh, one of the NVIDIA options. But anyway... But you can see sort of obviously that the system that they're testing is a number of, you know, DGX1 or DGX2H um, devices, for want of a better word, um, you know, an accelerator of some kind. And most importantly, um, or potentially most importantly, the software layer that they're testing is things like TensorFlow or MXNet or PyTorch. Um, and so those are the different combinations of things that people are testing and submitting and, and uh, therefore receiving numbers from. But it's, I find it very interesting that out of that large chunk of results in that centre of you know source, resources available on-prem or solutions, I guess, available on-prem, like very few of them are able, either are able to complete all of the benchmark results or... I don't know, it just seems to be very scattered and I don't quite yet see how useful that's going to be at this point. But then again, I think it is also quite early days for yeah. for MLPerf, so maybe maybe this will, will flesh out in the future. Yeah, because I know for the spec ones, if you want to push put a number up, you have to be able to reproduce it a couple of times at least and stuff and have some stability in your number, so maybe that's also an issue. Yeah. Um, now looking at the things that are doing ResNet, which is a, a already a well-known benchmark, actually. So they're not actually writing new benchmarks specifically for this. They're kind of reusing yeah. stuff that already existed, which is yeah. bad, I guess. Um, but yeah, as long as it's only Google and Nvidia in here, it doesn't really help much for, that, for anything. So it only becomes interesting when there's a lot more information in here. The one thing I'm scared about is that this may lead to, I don't know, people trying to build stuff to get better benchmarks results regardless if oh, it's always. actually helping something always. that's not always uh, that's not always what you want as a consumer of these things um, does the world need ml perf do you think is there is there a, is there a consuming audience for this <sighs> not yet i think uh, i think there could i think it's similar to what you were talking about with things like spec and TPC, I think they they do have a place. But do, I think yes. for me, for me, MLPerf, I think potentially could have a useful place in this um, ecosystem. But I right now it just seems to be far too early, far too kind of few organisations participating in terms of submitting actual results yet. So it, it it all feels a little bit kind of one sided or lopsided, but I it's it's always going to be. I think outdated. there could be something. It's always going to be. Outdated. Well, yeah, but that's that's going to be the, that's the case with all of these kind of things. Though, yeah, it? but if you look at and like it, a second, uh, a CPU is around for about for a reasonable amount of time. Intel brings a lot of CPU SKUs out, but they only have their their tick and talk was once a year. Uh, AMD has also once a year the thing. So a benchmark at least has some longevity. Well, if you look at things like, okay, we're testing this hardware with this software, TensorFlow version yep. 1, PyTorch version 3, 
Yep. Open source, guys, two days later, version 2.3.1a is out. Is this yep. still valid or not? So no, only not. people that don't yeah. know what... I mean, spec int, you still need to know what the CPU is and what the differences are between the memory lanes and the Finibag fabric and how that compares with everything so you understand what the benchmark means. It's a, little, it's a yep. lot of work already, but still it's something comprehensible. This is so large. They, I'm very. My view is that their scope of this thing is way too big. They should have said, okay, we'll do one software thing on a lot of different hardwares or a lot of hardware, uh, one hardware thing on a lot of different softwares just to differentiate it more. But have, trying to do everything, having the full matrix in there, you will never get the critical mass to fill it up fast enough before it becomes outdated already and the next uh, no, chapter so i think yeah so i think you're missing the point on this oh, i think the educate me I, I well so i don't <laughs> think the aim is to fill in that matrix i think the aim Damn, is that uh, because it's like any i mean even any of the even the, the spec or the tpc things yeah it's 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 bragging rights it's okay. our solution is the fastest for running this this particular synthetic benchmark or set of synthetic benchmarks on average blah that, that's to me that that's okay. what this is all about. I, I don't think you can possibly I think you're absolutely right in that you cannot and could not possibly complete the matrix of all the different permutations. It, the The software is just moving far too quickly for that. And mm-hmm. I, so on that point, I completely agree. But I think yeah, the aim is not to do that. It, it's just it's each organization will be using the latest and greatest uh, and, you know, marching onwards with both hardware and software and continuously trying to... People should be continuously trying to one-up each other because that's how progress is made. Yeah, but with that caveat for me, that it's so fluffy and all-encompassing that it's easy to one-up one by changing the one thing that makes your benchmarks better while the rest is still sure. very much bad. So this, this does seem like a prime That's candidate for the statistics, right? lies, benchmarks, and politics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And no. and speaking for fluffy, fluffy stuff, is there anything else you have on that one? Oh, all fluffed out. Okay, in that case... That is all the time we have for today. You can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution helps. Uh, We're on YouTube. I may have mentioned that earlier in the podcast. Please do like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, all that YouTube stuff. Remember, we're on our journey towards 100 subscribers. So please please do make that journey shorter. Otherwise, you'll keep hearing this. Um, Please also go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page. And for more information about this podcast, you can follow us on Twitter using the at Hadoopcast tag and send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until then, my name is Dave. And my name is Jill. And look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then.